Welcome back into the West by Southwest podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Pence. As always, with me, my host, Brendan Smart. What's going on, Mr. Smart? Job ja Brand is going to be rookie of the year. I mean, uh, I'm doing We've great. We've been I'm saying it. Great. We've been great. saying it. And uh, for the, this is being recorded on a Wednesday night. Uh, just moments before we started recording, uh, John ja Morant with a left-handed driving layup that uh, with po- I believe .7 seconds left for the win against the Charlotte Hornets. Brendan, <laughs> just tell me what you're feeling right now. I know Charlotte's not the best opponent, but a game winner is a game winner. I mean, the NBA is the NBA, and I, yeah, Charlotte's not the best opponent, but to see a rookie go up against three big men in the paint and finish with the left hand, I, that's tough, man. I mean, that's just, that's really tough, and it, it's very impressive to see, especially at his age, and just the way he's progressing, it, it's absolutely, he's way ahead of the curve. Yes, and you know, a lot of people uh, coming into his rookie year, there were a lot of people that, you know, didn't know how his how his offensive game translated to the NBA, if he was going to be able to be efficient as a scorer in the half court. I was one of those definitely on the Morant train because I think that he has uh, exceptional uber athleticism that he possesses, and that helps him get to the rim, uh, as we saw on that last drive against Charlotte. So I definitely um, – I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I definitely like seeing Morant do well. You and I have him pegged as the rookie of the year, and I really don't see that changing anytime soon. No, no, and, and and it just it keeps getting better. And and think about this, Dalton. He's only playing thirty minutes a game. He's on a minutes restriction. So just imagine that five or six more minutes he's going to get next season, or possibly towards the end of this season. So, now, when do you think Jenkins takes him off that minute restriction? Uh, the way Jenkins came out about it, it was going to be a year long thing. Now, the only time he's gone over the 30 minute mark was the Brooklyn game, you know, the breakout game against Kyrie. He played 33 minutes, but I mean, that's three more minutes. I mean, obviously Jenkins really needed him down the stretch of that game, but I don't see any reason for Jenkins to really pull that minutes restriction unless they're in that game. And I think tonight would have been one of those nights that Jenkins would have completely forgotten about the minutes restriction the way John Morant was playing down the stretch when guys stop when guys are having trouble hitting and you have one guy and you start feeding the hot hand and stuff like that but um is it right now no I know he's had a little bit of a a minor injury history is he is he battling with an injury or is it just kind of more um prevention and let the body heal what's going on with Morant in terms of injuries if anything the way Jenkins, you know, told the media, it was kind of weird, right? I mean, anytime Morant really goes on the floor, he he is opened up to an injury. I mean, any any player that's on the court is. He he perceived the thirty minute restriction as kind of like uh, taking care of his body. I mean, but my in my personal opinion, I I mean, I don't really see a difference. I mean, I kind of get it. I mean, thirty minutes is still a solid amount of time. It is. Uh, I mean, tonight's stat line twenty three and eleven. For John Morant in 30 minutes of play. The way he's handling it, though, is unique. You'll see John Morant start the game, and you'll also see John Morant finish quarters. He won't finish the first quarter, but second, third, and fourth quarter, John Morant is on the floor, given how he's playing throughout the game. He's split that time with Tyus Jones. Yeah, and the, that's the good thing about signing a guy like Tyus Jones in the offseason is, is you can have a veteran presence I mean, although Tyus Jones hasn't been in the league but maybe four years or so, I think Tyus Jones is definitely disciplined on both ends of the court. I think that um, he knows how to lead an offense and has shown that since college. I think that's a good thing in terms of being a mentor for John Morant. And 
like you said, uh, Taylor Jenkins has some more options off the bench. But we'll we'll touch on the Grizzlies a little little later in the podcast. Uh, you know, we started this podcast earlier in the season, and although this guy didn't necessarily play for the team, even before we considered this podcast, the Spurs against your Grizzlies beforehand retired the number nine jersey for Tony Parker. You know, I think it's kind of euphoric and it's kind of bittersweet because, you know, although I cannot stand the San Antonio Spurs, it, it, it's just kind of I'm like awestruck in that like the era is finally over and the last chapter was finally published for the big three in the Spurs, you know, the era that they yeah. have. So, and, you know, but I mean, shout out to Tony Parker. I mean, he's, you know. I don't think that he's he ranks 49th all time with uh, just under 20,000 points in the top 20 in assists, six-time All-Star, four-time NBA champion, won the Finals MVP in 07, and four-time All-NBA. You know, one thing looking at his stats was just how crazy efficient he was. I mean, the guy shot 32% from deep and just under 50% field goal percentage. I mean, 18.2 player efficiency rating. So, you know, it's one thing, the name of the game with Tony Parker. And I think that if you don't have Manu Ginobili and, and uh, old big old Timmy Duncan, I think that his stats look a lot better. But just talk about your experiences with watching the NBA with Tony Parker at the helm. Well, I mean, it all starts with those those three or four guys. I mean, you got Manu Ginobili, Tim Duncan, um, Tony Parker. I mean, that core right there alone. I mean, you had David Robinson for a few few years before he retired. Um, but I mean, God, he had, he. I I personally, as a Grizzlies fan, experienced so much heartbreak um, in a good way. I hated him, but in a, respect, <laughs> same, not, same. In a respectful yes. way. Like, man, I respected the you know what out of the San Antonio Spurs because they were so just respectful the way they carried themselves on you know, on and off the court with all the success, with all of the fame, with all, and you could never really say anything bad about that core group because they just played the right brand of basketball every single night. And, and one of the classiest teams of, or core group of guys to ever reach that level and just, just handle it so right. You know, I hated them, but at the same time, I, I definitely had respect for those guys especially tony parker i mean yeah the guy was always clutch i mean he was always making the right plays i mean it it it, it was just crazy like you said just so efficient such an efficient career for tony parker right you know he was never a number a true number one scoring option didn't have elite athleticism uh wasn't the strongest wasn't the biggest wasn't the tallest but um you know you really it, it goes to show just how, how much a player can utilize his IQ and quickness. And I think that's one thing that Tony Parker um, uh, would kind of use as his bread and butter throughout. But, I mean, you're right. The Spurs delivered heartbreak to me time and time again. But I think it's impossible <laughs> to despise them because, yes, they are so classy. They handle themselves so well. I mean, you never see those guys in bad light in the media. And it just goes to – kind of show you look at it in a different spectrum you mentioned David Robinson at the beginning well think about Kawhi Leonard at the end and just how big of a potential impact those guys had on Kawhi Leonard staying grounded because I mean he spent his first couple seasons playing with those guys winning championships or winning a championship I mean I I just want to know you know if there's one player that I want to come out and 
deliver a response to how much Tony Parker and even Ginobili and Duncan meant to him. It's Kawhi Leonard. I want to see how, what the, what role they played in the overall development and maturity of Kawhi. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, for a guy who's made fun of for not showing his emotions or, or showing any reaction to big-time plays down the stretch, I mean, Kawhi Leonard is definitely Spurs-esque, uh, Tim Duncan-esque of those reactions. I mean, Tim Duncan was that guy. Tim Duncan was that guy that made those crazy clutch plays, and you'd see him just turn around and run back down the floor with his head down. It's the same thing with Kawhi <laughs> Leonard. It is it is the exact same thing until last season. Hey, hey, hey. And, yeah, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> no, no, Kawhi, Kawhi, Kawhi's my guy, though. I mean, I, I love I love that uh, last season we focused so much on getting a response out of him in clutch moments. It was pretty cool to see. I mean, and, and for all the load management talk, you know, it's for the it's for the hills, man. I, it's not even worth discussing. Yeah, I love the way it, it's not. Himself. I mean, there that's a whole different ball game to where I mean, unless something big comes up in the Southwest Division where you see uh, top guys like Harden or other guys be able to to be able to utilize old management. I don't think it's really a topic that pertains to the Southwest Division. Although we could talk about it when it comes down toward the end of the season and how that affects it. But like you know, kind of wrapping up, it just I, I'm not going to say I'm sad because I'm sure as hell not sad, but it's just kind of bittersweet because I'm a, I'm a basketball fan and watching that brand of Spurs basketball for so long. It's like when I think of the Spurs, that's who I think of. I don't have any previous memory of beyond Tim Duncan and company. I mean, I was three years old when or yeah, two or three years old when Tim Duncan even got drafted to the Spurs. So. Yeah, I mean, that's our childhood, you know. It, it's our childhood. I mean, you grow up watching those guys. You grow up watching them alongside uh, – Bruce Bowen and Boris Diaw and all those guys. So, I mean, to see Tony Parker's number to finally get retired alongside Manu and Tim Tim Duncan, it's just it, – it, it's it's such a good moment in the NBA just because real people know – I mean, the, you know, the younger generation unfortunately wasn't able to watch peak Spurs basketball, and I'm just so glad that I was and you were as well. So. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, moving on, talking about a, another duo or group of players that could cement themselves as being an all-time great collaboration of players, Luka and KP, we talk about them a lot. But, I mean, Dallas right now is sitting at 6-3. and three. They have a rough loss to New York. They have times where they, they don't look that great as a unit. They're still 6-4. and four. They've got a win over Denver. They've got losses to Boston and LA in which they played them very very close up until the very last minutes or so I mean they're one game out you know coming in today one game back from the Houston Rockets now I'm not saying that they have enough to pass them or even you know finish second but there's been a lot of chatter about you know Dallas being a potential playoff team and I have to ask just to kind of pick your brain on it does Dallas have any chance to win the Southwest division. It's possible. I mean, but, but when you get down to it, can Luca and KP continue, continue to produce like this? Um, I mean, you, we always talk about the other guys on the Mavericks. Um, can those guys step up and be a consistent force around Luca and KP like they've been for the first 10 games or so you said, you said something about how they've been hot and cold kind of showing their true colors here and there. And, and, and it's going to happen. You know, 
Dallas was not a team that was projected to be a playoff team. They were projected to be, you know, bottom two, bottom three team in the Southwest division and possibly in the Western conference. You never know. It, it, it depends on how Dallas wants this season to turn out. I mean, you can have a season yeah. where you kind of, you know, baby step KP back into it by giving, giving him some games off. I mean, and what let's say let's say Dallas gets to six and six. What happens? You know, which direction are they going to decide to go? Let's just play that theoretical game. Yeah, it's still early in the season too. I mean, ten ten game. I mean, I think I don't think you really can start making the assessment of whether Dallas is a true threat in the Southwest until after Christmas or maybe even halfway through the season, just because you kind of have to see, yes, how is Rick Carlisle, how is he managing Kristaps Porzingis minutes? I know that it's early in the season and he's shown that he's resting in more than Porzingis is used to coming off that ACL injury. But, you know, as we get further on and as the body gets more fatigued, are we going to see more load management opportunities for Porzingis? Like you said, is Luka done? Chich going to be able to sustain this miraculous level of play that um, not many people saw coming. And, you know, I think that as well as is Dallas's or Dallas's role players going to continue to step up because, I mean, besides the two um, international phenoms, I mean, you don't really have really any consistent threats. So I think if Dallas, was to have a chance to win the Southwest division. I think that they would also have to make a trade to get a third option in there. But yeah. I, I just, I just don't think that that's in the organizational trajectory at this point. I think that they're, I think that Dallas is okay with competing, you know, them not winning the Southwest division. They're like, Oh, Oh, well, you know, we're not really geared to win it this year anyway. I mean, we're built for the future anyway. So, yeah. I don't necessarily think that Dallas is a threat this year, but I still had to pose the question just because they have had a little bit more success than even I thought they were going to have. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, no, I don't think either one of us expected this start. But then again, I mean, there are those teams that get that, that quick jump and then slowly start falling down You're right. into reality. Um, and I don't know if Dallas is going to be that. But they've definitely gotten off to a hot start that no one saw coming. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's definitely a true point. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see if Phoenix and Miami start to do that a little as well. Yeah, there's a handful of teams that are kind of. Yeah, I'm just not so sure that they can maintain their level of play and stuff like that. But um, speaking of uh, keeping up the level of play, the Houston Rockets lead the Southwest Division right now. As of right now, they're seven and three. They're in the third quarter of. uh, the game against the Los Angeles Clippers at the moment. Um, and Westbrook actually had four fouls in the first quarter. I mean, I'm sitting oh. like, are you, you, you were gotta be joking me. Why is he even on the court? Yeah. But, um, I was about to say even worse news, Eric Gordon. Um, he, he had those woes early in the season. He's only averaging 10.9 points per game, which is a career low. albeit early. Also career low with 30.9 field goal percentage and under 30% from deep. He has underperformed pretty much secured the bag and went missing, but he's up to, (laughs) he's going to miss up to about six weeks with a knee injury, which Mike D'Antoni claimed had been bothering him uh, up to midway point of last season, which is kind of concerning, but it's good to get that cleaned up now. But in terms of the Rockets, I, you know, it it could be a blessing in disguise just because you're going to have to have guys like Ben Michael and Chris Clemens and, Austin Rivers and Daniel House be able to step up by committee, but what does 
what challenges does Eric Gordon's injury provide to Houston? Well, you definitely got to be worried about Aaron, Eric Gordon. I mean, he had those injuries back in New Orleans with those knees. Um, but you, you haven't really heard anything, though, if you think about it, with in his time in, with Houston about knee injuries or anything. This is really the first one that I've noticed he's had with the Rockets. So, I mean, out six weeks with a knee injury. And, and what I, from what I was reading was he had one of his best games of the season against New Orleans. He had 17.611 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3. It's just a tough break, right? I mean, you know, coming off such a great game. But like you said, you've got that depth sitting behind him. Ben McLemore, Austin Rivers, and a handful of guys that can step up night in and night out whenever their numbers are called. Yeah, um, it's interesting to see. I'd like like to see Daryl Morey go after a guy like J.R. Smith or Jamal Crawford just for kind of a a second unit fit to be able to give you some three-point shooting. Just in case, you know, I mean, Ben McElmore is as decent as he's been playing early season. I mean, he still is kind of in a prove it point of his career in that vital mm-hmm. point. So there's not a lot of confidence there. I think that Daniel House is playing exceptional for his role. And I think that Austin Rivers is doing what he can, too. But, um, you know, uh, you lose your third or maybe fourth scoring option, depending on how you look at Clint Capella. And it's it's a rough one. I mean, I guess the timing isn't too bad just because it's at the beginning of the season and you're going to be able to, you know, play through it and maybe grow through it as well. But, I mean, you definitely become discouraged as a Houston fan when you lose a top-scoring option who had already been playing bad. But to play the devil's advocate, I mean, if he's not been healthy, it's time to get him healthy now as opposed to mm-hmm. in the 2020 calendar year. So if he misses up till Christmas, oh, you know, oh, well. But I, I don't want him missing after the All-Star break with the same injury. So I'm definitely yeah. just – I think there's two points of thinking. I think, one, the the timeline has to fit. I don't want Gordon missing more time and it turning into like an eight- to ten-week process. And, two, I definitely want to see him start to become that third scoring option from last year when he comes Absolutely. back. So. Absolutely. But, I mean – uh, with the way this other guy's performing, I mean, he might as well be the first and second scoring option. You know, we've talked about James Harden's woes, shooting woes, percentage mm-hmm. woes. I mean, he's shooting 40.7% from the field, 29.8% from three. Ooh. He is averaging 37.3 a game, which is the most in the past 50 years for the first 10 games of a season. Good grief. Let me repeat that. He is averaging the most points per game in the first 10 games in the past 50 years. I think the most after him is Michael Jordan in the late 80s with like 36.9. I mean, James, I mean, I don't even know what to say at this point. But the, the thing about it is, is how, how much scarier does it get if he's actually hitting his shots? Jesus. Once James starts hitting his shots. It's going to be crazy to see how the team adjusts around him. Um, obviously, shooting 29% from three is not good, right? And but you're also, getting, you're also getting 15 free throw attempts on average a game. So once the threes fall, you know, does he quit attacking? Um, you know, it's just one of those things that's going to – we're going to have to wait and see. Only because you, Harden plays in so many styles, right? It depends he on does. which opponent he, he plays any given night. He can really go into his bag of tricks, and there's a deep bag for James Harden. It just depends on who he's facing uh, uh, across the floor, who's guarding him. 
Um, yeah. If his shots start to fall, though, oh, my goodness. You're not even going to be thinking about Eric Gordon because you've yeah. got Russ. You've got Russ. Obviously, he's not playing well tonight. But you've got Russ and James Harden. Those guys make up for a ton of scoring. It's chops you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of weird because Russell Westbrook is not shooting well from deep. I think he's like 26%, which is not good. It's Did, actually didn't his career. Didn't he start hot from three, though? Well, he started somewhat hot, maybe the first game. But, you know, the thing about it is it seems like he's actually played really well. I, mean, I think that, you know, Russell Westbrook, I mean, if I think it's going to get to the point where if he can, if he can stay at his athletic level, I think that, you know, whatever he gives you from behind the arc is just a bonus icing on top of the cake because I think he offers an honest, much-needed surge that kind of offers a polar opposite of how James Harden plays. I think that they work together. I think opposites attract. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now. You know, James Harden has uh, been playing as well as anyone in the NBA in terms of true scoring. I mean, I mean, I can't. I'm running out of things to say about the guy. It's funny that you say he pulls out the tricks out of his bag. It kind of like makes me think of somebody pulling stuff, random stuff out of a bag, and just like endless things coming out of this bag from a bag that doesn't even seem that deep. But Harden has yeah. Harden has literally been using defenses to his advantage, and I think that more of this year he's taking what the defense is giving him. So, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to see how he continues that stretch. Um, but, I mean, he's he, – you're right, the free throws. I mean, he's making just over 13 a game and shooting 88%, which is a career high for him. We talked about John Morant's game winner, which was great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when we recorded last Wednesday, Jaron Jackson Jr. dropped a big fat zero on the score sheet. How the times change. In a win. And coming into tonight, in the three games before tonight, averaging 20.3 points per game, but no more than four fouls in any of those three contests. I mean, the game against, um, who who was, I think, San Antonio, where he had 24, 6, and 5. But Mm -hmm. more importantly, and what you really love to see, is he hit four of six shots from deep. So what do you take away from his little three-game stint? I mean, it's got to be a good push in the right direction yeah it, it all started with a loss to dallas and i believe that was saturday night if i'm not mistaken at home um it was a good good comeback game he played uh 32 minutes he had four personal fouls but there was no reason to have him in at the end just because dallas took over that game uh 24 points for jaron that night he followed that performance up with a uh, performance on monday night in san, san antonio on the road like you were talking about, uh, I got his stats right here, 24 points, six rebounds, five assists. And I want to say 37 minutes of game action, which means he didn't come off the floor for foul trouble. If I'm not mistaken, he had about three fouls in that game. But Jaron, they got Jaron involved early in the post and took advantage of LaMarcus Aldridge. It was a great mismatch because we, you and I both know LaMarcus is not a, uh, a post defender, to say the least. So Jaron was just kind of they get they got him involved to get a young guy involved early. You're going to have him the rest of the game. So right. seeing him involved early kind of carried that momentum. John Morant didn't have a good game that night, so Jaron had to pick up the load. Um, different story tonight, you know. John Morant had the the had an excellent game, but Jaron had a good game too. 16 points, six rebounds, one assist. 
five and nine shooting, four or six from three. That's and, great. You love to see that perimeter shooting as well. He's he's not only has the confidence of taking them, he's also making a high percentage recently. Yeah, and 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 I was worried. When, when was it? We, a week ago, we recorded the last podcast. I was genuinely worried just because of his lack of interest. You know, yeah. he got so caught up in reacting to the foul calls versus reacting to how he doesn't pick up that next foul and and just staying in tune with the game. So the way he started, the way Taylor Jenkins is setting up the offense around Jackson while he's in now since the Dallas game has really kept him in tune on both ends of the floor. So props to Taylor Jenkins for just for just setting that offense up to start games to get him, you know, in early. So, you know, it's just been it's been a great three game stint for uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. And, you know, with young players like that, you're going to have nights where they're they're going to be off in that game that Jaron Jackson went off against San Antonio. I think John Morant was, what, two for 12 from the field? Yeah, that was the first game. He had a, he had a rest game Saturday night. So yeah, definitely sub, subpar, though, for, um, you know, what, what he's capable of. But it, it's nice to be able to see the, the young bucks from Memphis be able to pick each other up when the other doesn't play necessarily too well and you know one thing that i also saw is how well dylan brooks is playing as well and people you know you know i'm never gonna let Corey and nick get away with it because i said he was gonna be the most pivotal guy outside of jaron and Ja on this roster because he's that guy that i thought if he focused and locked himself in nightly could be that guy offense and defensively for the grizzlies yeah, I mean, I, I definitely I love his two way potential. I think that um, he he could be a a solidified third scoring option. I think that you know I don't want to jump the gun here, but I think You're I've not. seen enough of I think I've seen enough of Dylan Brooks to think that he has a legitimate future and significant role in Memphis if he can one you know stay healthy. I think that that that's kind of the name of the game with all players, but two just continue to show that he can be that option. Because, I mean, Memphis is in a spot to where if they get a pick, which who who knows, honestly, because I think that they could play into where they would concede it to, Boston. I believe it's Boston. Yeah. What is the protection top six, on that? Is top it top six, six? Yeah, top six. You know, I, I really have a, a tough time seeing Memphis finishing in the top six. However, if they do, I, I don't think that they – I think that they probably address the wing position, unfortunately, or another guard position, unless they were to go with a James Wiseman guy, which would kind of be a little bit interesting, considering that he's from there. I I have to pick your brain though, because this has been talked. <laughs> this has been talked. Oh man! Say Memphis I, I does land it. that. Say Memphis does land that pick, and and I'm totally on your side with this. They land like a top two pick, and Wiseman's on the board. Are you going around Wiseman? Are you, are, are you taking are you the saying, best are you, are you saying a top – give me a pick one through six, and I'll tell you whether or not – Let's say they have um, the number two pick. No, there's no way I'm taking him number two. There's absolutely not a chance, especially with Jonas Valanciunas being serviceable. I And you also have Jaron Jackson Jr. I do not see a world in which Memphis should take that pick. I'm actually kind of – so you're not one of those that takes the best available on the board because I'm the well, same way. I'm he's going... he's most he's most definitely not the best available. He wouldn't even be close. Where do you think Wiseman goes though? Just I, I know this is random, but we'll get off of it here in a second. Should he? Should he? He he'll probably go top five. Should he? No. Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's no. The thing. I get it. I, I no. Get it. 
I understand. Let me let me explain to you my my rationale thing. James oh. Wiseman, you know, it, it, it always amazes me the difference between perception from the national mainstream media and people who actually cover it for a living. And I'm not saying that I'm one of those people, but I think that James Wiseman is going to be one of those prospects to where there's going to be a big variance on how people view him as a prospect. I think that he's going to be a great college player, assuming he continues to play. He's a guy who can score on the rim, but he's a black hole on offense. He's he's one of those guys that almost when, when he gets the ball in the post, you're not getting it back. It's not coming out of the post. He's one of those guys to where, sure, he can knock down the open shot if he's open. I don't think that he's going to be able to be a significant outside shooter at the pro level. I think that he's going to be making a lot of his money inside right by the rim, which is great because he's athletic and he's long. However, I think that there's better players out there. You know, mm-hmm. if I had the second pick, if I had the second pick and I was Memphis, I would hope to Jesus Christ that Cole Anthony goes with the first <laughs> pick because I do not want to have the dilemma of having Cole Anthony on the board and then passing over him because the guy is a top two player. What's the best about? case the best case scenario is if Anthony Edwards is right there because that's a match made in heaven. And honestly, I, I would honestly consider becoming a Memphis fan if they get Anthony Edwards just because I would freaking be I don't even I don't even have an adjective that's how excited I would be for a Morant Anthony Edwards backcourt because that's explosion to the max. Oh god, it'd be so fun. And then you have a rim runner like Jaren. Oh my Then you god. got Dylan Brooks because I think Dylan Brooks can find his way to the three. I mean, in, in positionless basketball, mm-hmm. both of those guys can play the two and the three interchangeably. So and see, I, I was I'm, I was indifferent on you know Dylan Brooks to the three, but I, the way he's you know performed defensively this season. Exactly, I'm okay that, with that's that. great. That's great to see that as well. And when you have Jaw running the point, I think that. You let Anthony Edwards focus on his one thing, which is scoring, and you have a a somewhat of a pass-first point guard in John Morant. I mean, you have to absolutely love the fit there. I just don't think that James Wiseman makes really any sense. I don't think that any team at number two should be taking him. I think that once you get to the five range, that's when you can start thinking, okay, do we need a big man? Do we have sufficient guards and wings that that's kind of where you're looking at where the James Wiseman comes into play. If Memphis has pick number six, that's where you could potentially see him go if your top wing prospects are gone. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and actually, um, you know, I just created a Dylan Jackson. I don't, I don't know if you remember him from uh, Off the Glass. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, saw that. I think I just saw that. Yeah, place. him and I uh, just created um, – uh, it's called Bracket Breakers, which is going to be a college basketball and NBA draft podcast, which will probably be airing here not too long from now. Definitely, I, I love to get back into the NBA draft and stuff like that podcast-wise. It's just the fact that, you know, you kind of have to co- combine college basketball with that as well. But um, moving on <laughs> – I sent I sent Brendan a text. You know, we um I'm on Eastern time and he's on Central time. And I asked oh, when he was going. Asked, asked when he was going to be ready for tonight. And he told uh, me eight eight thirty. And I'm like, okay, what time zone? And he's like, oh, Central time. And I'm like, said shake my head. No, you're oh, almost as bad as the New Orleans Pelicans. Oh, <laughs> the Pel- so we're exposing <laughs> people, huh? We are. We are. The Pelicans uh, are sitting. At, Pelicans are sitting at two and eight. Uh, Zion, uh, just about a week ago. Um, in a report off ESPN said that he would come back when quote unquote 
put the Pelicans. So that's kind of interesting, but, um, you know, it, it's not expected that that comes in December. I think that he's probably still a month out, but he doesn't think that he's going to miss up to the half of the season. So I guess he we're, we have to be under the assumption that he's going to play this season. Well, I mean, it's all in how you take the court. I mean, it, it, it's all in how the Pelicans are playing right now, which is not great. Okay. And there's a lot of time between now and, and that mark in December. So you have to think, are they going to, are they going to like tank it? I mean, do they, go I mean, full it, tank? You're, you're two and eight. I mean, you're almost there. I mean, you, you've almost made your decision already in November. Not even midway through November. You're at Look November thirteenth. But he says, it, I, he says, when they let me, when they let me, that you know, that's not encouraging that's not for a the people. Quote, I tell you, that that's kind of one of those like Zion wants to play with New Orleans. Like, hey, hey slow your roll there, pal. Let's uh, we're let's, gonna save you for next season. We're gonna give you the Blake Griffin and the Joel Embiid treatment because it's shown that it can work in in, in terms of durability. And um, New Orleans gets. A cup gets a top pick, and they probably trade away JJ Redick and other title contending guys. And uh, you know, it's a, a run it back 2020. So, but um, if you think, think about that's it, that's awesome. probably not a bad choice. No, it, uh, I, if I if I'm David Griffin right now, if I'm the New Orleans Pelicans owner, I'm say, okay, um, you know, you can play in uh, some five on five team pickup games here and there, but yeah, in terms of practice. In, in terms of getting on the court at what is it, the Smoothie Q Center or whatever? The, Smoothie the King. Same thing. You know, I, I don't care. Smoothie King, Smoothie that's Q. That's payback for the Central time. Uh, you know, that's not even payback. I mean, you, you correct me. It's, it is what it is. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just, I mean, you know, we talked about when the Pelicans were 0 5 that this is a, a big danger zone. And, you know, since then they're 2 and 3. So, I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, I guess. Big improvements. You, you, they're making a somewhat improvement, but, but you know they're in a. They've already dug in the, themselves in a hole, and they're just yeah. getting deeper and deeper. It, it sucks because guys are having good seasons. Brandon Ingram has had a resurgence year. I think that Lonzo Ball is having a decent year. Josh Hart is having a good year. It just sucks that it's just like, oh well. I mean, we're just not that good. I mean, I think that's how you have to you have to take it as the New Orleans Pelicans just haven't found the right roster fits in terms of rotation and I think that I mean uh, New Orleans is one of those teams you look at the names on the roster and then you look at the record and you're like there's no way this is right right <laughs> there's no way this is right but it is and it doesn't make sense but sometimes you get a group of guys together that don't really know how to win together and this is their first season being together and and half of the roster is just super young and and Brand, like you said, Brandon Ingram's yeah. performances are getting lost. Yeah, there, there's a ton season. of youth. Uh, there, there, it, uh, there's there's a ton of youth. There's an influx of guards. There's a um, kind of a, a scarcity of big men or quality big men. Although the Derek Favors is doing his job, averaging a team high eight rebounds a game. Uh, it's just I think that uh, the the Pelicans have decent pieces, but not good pieces at the moment. I think that uh, but it, it you know, it's kind of like uh, Thanos in the uh, the Marvel's universe. Um, are you familiar with any of those movies? Not, no, I'm not gonna say. Oh I am. come on! I'm not like come I'm not like on. big into it. So like, you know, I, I I've had enough of you between time zones, <laughs> between not knowing anything oh, about Marvel. Man. You need to find you know a co-host. <laughs> I will give I will give you my Disney Plus password, 
And after this, go. you were you go. were to watch all of the twenty something movies in a row, nonstop. Work tomorrow. No, you are. You are for sure. <laughs> and I want a synopsis of each movie, one page, double spaced. Oh God, double. Hey, that's okay. Hey, double spaced. I'm not complaining. I can do that. But uh, you know, um, he uh, you know, Thanos and his whole uh, snapping of the fingers, which eliminates half of uh, human lo- or you know population life yeah. on planets. Um, you know, Thanos. One thing that he says, you know, when addressing how inhumane it is, he says it's a it. It's a small price to pay for salvation. And yeah. the way I spend that is, you know, this season is a small price to pay for the salvation of the New Orleans Pelicans organizational goals. Because, I mean, Zion's going to be back. You're going to have a good pick. You have cap space. I mean, you have multiple assets. You have tradable pieces if you need it. I mean, the Pelicans, and honestly, if you're a Pelicans fan, you want to lose every game. Yeah. Uh, because I'm thinking future. And it, the hype alone just reminds me of LeBron's first season in L.A. You know, you had names, you had drafts, you had young guys, all of that kind of combined, and then you don't have the performance, right? You, you, yep. You've got you got the key guy injured, you know? Um, so the hype was just really what got New Orleans that, that like, they're going to – they could be a – playoff team this year and they they could be and and i even bought in i'm not gonna lie they could be a lot of things this year but i didn't consider the fact that like you said an influx in guards they don't have a a, a lot of big men they don't have depth there and then you've got a bunch of young guys trying to figure out how to win games down the stretch yeah so. i mean the things are the things are independent on each other i think that the the hype is making the preseason hype is making people think that the two are mutually exclusive which they're not I think that, um, you know, you can have a lot of hype regarding the team and still kind of be a subpar team because I think that being put in the right direction, I think that David Griffin is running a marathon, not a sprint. And I mm-hmm. absolutely love the way he's got this organization projecting. So there's a lot of good things going on in New Orleans. You know, the last thing we have on the docket for episode six, I, I, I tasked Brendan with – Picking his starting five coach and GM for the future. If you were starting a franchise, and I want you, I want you to start out by giving me the first player you picked. All right. So first player I picked, I went with a point guard. Obviously, he had a big night tonight, and that's John Moran. Yep. Of course, I, I think that that was uh, is Ja and James Harden both on your list. Yes. What about Luca? Luca is there as well. You know that that was uh, those were the three guys. I'm like, okay, you know, you don't have a traditional wing, or at least not on my roster, because yeah. I think that uh, you know, in positionless basketball, I think that Luca projects as kind of a bigger guy. I think he's that a, defensively, he's what, six seven. Defensively, my team might get absolutely butchered, but damn it, we're scoring 190 points a game. We're getting to 150 in a lightweight. Wizard, Wizards can score 158. Damn it, we're scoring 160. I don't give a damn. I mean, it's one of those things. Uh, in, in my front court, I had Jaron Jackson Jr. and Christos Porzingis. Yeah, same here. You know, I, I was trying to think. Maybe I, I was wondering if I, if I made that too easy because now that I look back on it, it, it was kind of no-brainers. But I, I was thinking about putting a guy 
like Lamarcus Aldridge in just for like Possibly. a temporary, just yeah. for like a temp. You know, I, I know it's for the future, but I think Lamarcus Aldridge offers a ton of uh, honest upside for what role that he plays. So I think. That I mean, he if was you think be, about it, though, would you rather give up? I mean, you're giving giving up that defense either way. Exactly. I mean, Lamarcus, Lamarcus isn't a great uh, defender. I think that Jaron Jackson, you know, uh, we're going to have to bank on this guy not fouling out. He's going to be Porz- our last line of defense. <laughs> you know, Porzingis, I think, is is a good rim protector with his length. I think that both of them will have to add – well, not maybe not Porzingis, but Jaron Jackson have to add some weight and uh, have to play a little bit more below the rim in terms of rebounding, especially Jaron, when you have guys like Morant when you have guys like James Harden and Luke, I mean, we're really scoring 190 a game. Easy. But I think I think that the main the main concern was kind of what do you go with in terms of coaching? I went with Rick Carlisle. And, and that's you only went because, with Rick Carlisle? Yeah, really? I went with Rick Carlisle. And, and that's only because his improvements throughout a, a game, he can he, you might beat him in the first, second, or possibly even the third quarter, but not by much. That fourth quarter – He's already adjusted everything. I mean, this this guy knows how to adjust and, and coach in a game. Whoever is sitting on his bench, he's going to have those guys in the right spots. He might lose the game, but it's not it's not easy. I mean, I think, that, he, I think that's he gets the most he gets the most potential out of his guys. Any given he's game. got a lot out of that Dallas bench. I mean, Rick Carlisle's kind of been like a, a very like underrated coach. And and because if you haven't watched him, I promise, Dalton, watch a few games of how he adjusts throughout a game. I mean, there's no steady steady rotation. To play the devil's advocate and to to come to my defense, I feel like when I watch doubt, when I watch Dallas play, I always get lost in the glamour and all that Luca and KP put on me. So I think that uh, I'm really kind of at a loss here. And I think that the only way I'm ever going to tell how Carlisle does is if those guys sit out a night and then we can really dissect what he does. And he still but coaches the game, man. I promise he you got to watch him. Oh, I guarantee. I mean, you, you honestly have to. You know, I, I hate the notion that NBA coaches don't do a damn thing. I mean, yeah. I understand that things are political in terms of who you play at certain times and stars get a more better peripheral preferential treatment than others but uh you know you have to have a good coach to win it i mean last year nick nurse did a hell of a job with toronto mm-hmm. spolstra did a great job with the big three in miami popovich who is my coach on this oh whole, yeah, uh, easy i went with pop but the thing about it here here's i was kind of skeptical because he's up there in I age i don't know how much different. i just don't know how much longer he's going to be coaching but I think that right. I think this team could be in win now mode because Luca has shown that he can be a monster, and you're in James Harden's prime. So I mean, oh, yeah. you know, worst comes to worst, you can replace him down down the line in a couple of years. But I want to maximize Pop's knowledge and have them being able to play together on a different level. I, so I, and, and getting off topic for just two seconds. The other night, I, I noticed something about Pop when I was watching Memphis and San Antonio play. My man is aging. This team is. is making him age. I will be. I will be too. If if you if you if your top two players can't hit threes to save their lives, I mean, sure, I'd be aging too, pal. Did you see that play with Dejounte Murray where he inbounded the ball to himself? Bro, that was Eric Bledsoe. No, 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 no. It was Eric Bledsoe one night. Dejounte Murray did it too. Swear, swear. Look it up. I promise. Uh, we, on we, we, I don't know what he got it the is. ball I... inbounded to him and he walked out of bounds. 
I'm telling you, players are – I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm watching street ball because that's something I would do in a pickup game. I've never seen Pop so just, just what, What's worse? Let, let me ask this before – you know, before we get to GMs, give me a quick answer. What's worse? Westbrook's blatant travel against Golden State a couple years back when he took about 13 steps before dribbling the ball mm-hmm. or Eric Bledsoe picking the ball up and throwing it into himself and trying to pull a slick one. What's worse? Oh, oh, you got me. I'm, I'm going to go with Bledsoe only because I'm, I'm, I'm only. I'm, you're my right. God. That's that's bad. That's bad. I'm almost going to have to say Westbrook. At though, least because Russ the man, was calling out a play. <laughs> well, Russ caught out a play, but he also didn't dribble to half court. And the, the, the referees just sitting there like, what the hell are you doing? They were as much shocked as I was watching on TV. Well, they were both shocked and a fool. So, <laughs> so uh, GM wise, I okay. picked David. I picked David Griffin. Same here. You know, I think that uh, Daryl Morey, I think that, you know, he's made good moves. However, I think that, you know, he, he's been a lot of all, all talk recently. I think that, you know, there's been too much talk the past couple off seasons. Oh, the Rockets are going to get a third star. I mean, they were they're on the two yard line to get Carmelo Anthony. Didn't get him, which I mean, that was probably a blessing in disguise uh, right there to get Jimmy Butler from Minnesota. Didn't get him right there to get Jimmy Butler from Philadelphia. Didn't get him. I think that David Griffin has kind of put his money where his mouth is. and He's uh, a smart aggressive. He, he has done the damn thing. He he got a big package. He didn't back down from the Lakers and got a big package for the for AD. Uh, he signed J.J. Redick, which was big. I think that uh, he made the right decisions in terms of drafting. But I think that uh, he, he's kind of the smartest guy going forward, and it sucks that he got such a bad rap in Cleveland kind of sitting backseat to LeBron James because I think that he's a talented guy. Absolutely. And, and you know, one off season, of course, we're going off of one off season. But at the same time, like you said, the way he didn't back down from the Lakers, he kind of just came in and had supreme confidence in his abilities to negotiate and know what they needed this season. So he did everything that was right for the Pelicans. You know, um, I'm really I'm really glad to kind of see them do better. And by the way, just an update, the Rockets are up 98-88 with 131 to go against the Clippers. That's a big so, one. Uh, I mean, well, you, dude, my teams, let me tell you something. My teams are the worst in history in their respective sports at blowing leads. I've never seen anything like it. So a 10-point lead with 131 <laughs> does not make me feel safe. Honestly, I'd almost rather be tied. Not really, but you, you kind of get the drift. I get the I mean, vibe, yeah. My, my teams just blow leads like they're paid to do it. And the Clippers just hit a three, so they're down seven with one one. I'm telling you, dude, I'm gonna well, I'm, I'm gonna end this. I'm gonna stop recording this podcast. There's gonna be four seconds left, and the Clippers are gonna be down by two. <laughs> That's just how Kawhi, it's going to hey, be. Is Kawhi playing tonight? Yeah, Paul George is Kawhi playing tonight. And you know that uh, Paul George is scheduled to come. He's scheduled to come back tomorrow. So okay. uh, I think okay. that uh, it it, work, it works good for the Clippers because Paul George comes in and Kawhi gets a a load management game off. There you go. So uh, Brendan. Before we get out of here, where can we find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at BSmart21. You get all my articles at Grizzly Bear Blues. Uh, I'm telling you, yeah, for all of the guy, for everyone out there, Memphis Grizzlies, I've never seen a guy work harder than this guy right here. Man, I, I mean, appreciate it, man. I, I, I just had to give you a shout out because I see, you know. Hey, you working hard on the draft too? I, I try. I, you know, I don't mention it a lot, but That's I see the grind that you covering one team. 
it's one thing is you can't cheat the grind, and I, I see how much work you put in Memphis. So definitely, I mean, game recaps, whatever it is, Grizzly Bear Blues, I believe it's what a, a fan sided SB Nation, SB Nation, SB Nation, and there there's a talented group over there as well. Um, you can it, follow me at, at Dpence underscore my personal page. Uh, as always, uh, follow Off the Glass Basketball. This is an Off the Glass Basketball sponsor podcast at WX. SWOTG on Twitter is the West by Southwest podcast page. Um, definitely, uh, you can follow us on Anchor, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, and many more. Uh, be sure to check that out. And there's also a link now to where you can become an established audience member to raise some revenue for the site and for the podcast itself. So um, definitely uh, be able to explore in that, and we'll we'll see you next week. See you guys.